You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, the first day of March 2022. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. School masking goes optional on March 12th, not a moment too soon for some districts and too soon for others. The California report makes it clear. Nevada County isn't the only place where school masking policies are creating angst. After regional news and weather, it's on to the economy. Paul Emery talks to Gary Zimmerman about the global consequences of the war on Ukraine, and Mark Cuniberti keeps his eye on the stock market. This is the California Report. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi in San Francisco. From March 12th onwards, California students can go to school without their masks, if local districts allow it. The state announced Monday it's shifting from requiring masks to recommending them. KQED's Julia McAvoy reports. Governor Gavin Newsom's office says the state is lifting the mandate due to declining COVID-19 case and hospitalization rates, and it's letting local districts and public health officials set their own policies. In Ventura County, Superintendent Jason Paplinski from Simi Valley Unified was grateful for the decision. He said his district will allow students to go maskless March 11th. As you can imagine, like many districts, we've had a lot of angst around this topic for the last few months, and um, it was increasingly less civil. <laughs> in San Francisco, the district says it will keep its mask requirement in place. Other districts, like Oakland and Berkeley Unified, are taking more time to decide. Picolia Manigo has two sons in Oakland Public Schools. She says making masks optional puts pressure on families who still fear the virus can harm their children. It puts the responsibility on families and students to then have to defend what they believe is safety for them. The California Teachers Association issued a statement supporting the policy shift away from mask mandates and urging collaboration between local educators and families on policy changes. In a Berkeley Institute of Governmental Studies poll out last week, 65 percent of California's registered voters surveyed said they approved of masking inside schools. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy. Nearly 200 teachers in the Rockland Unified School District called in sick or took leave early yesterday after the district's board voted during a special meeting last week to make masks optional indoors. That's according to the Sacramento Bee. The Rockland Teachers Association says its teachers only heard about the meeting a day before it happened and that the board made the decision in a closed session rather than during a public meeting. Union leaders say while opinions on masks vary within the community, it's the, quote, lack of respect for educators that was the most concerning for teachers. Rockland Unified joined a growing list of districts in the greater Sacramento area that are defying the state's masking orders. The state's Employment Development Department, or EDD, has announced it's going to drastically expand language support for the at least 7 million Californians whose first language isn't English. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin reports. The announcement comes after nearly two years of legal mediation around gaps in EDD's language accommodations. Gaps that advocates say forced many out-of-work Californians to resort to using potentially predatory third parties to help them get their benefits, and forced people to rely on friends and family members instead of the state for support. You know, we had clients who were asking their small children, like eight and nine years old, 
to get on the phone with EDD. Joanne Lee is with the Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles. Joaquin Lopez is an unemployed farm worker living in Kern County. He speaks Mixteco in Spanish, and because of language support issues, still doesn't know the state of the claim he filed last December. Lopez says he's been living off his savings and eating little while he waits for his benefits. As a result of the agreement, EDD will establish a multilingual advisory board and expand the number of dedicated phone lines with multilingual agents. I think it's worth noting that these state agencies are required by law to provide meaningful language access. This isn't something extra. It's not like a charitable thing. It's a legal mandate. Advocates like Winnie Gao of the Asian Law Caucus hope this shift will serve as a model for other state agencies going forward. For the California Report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin. KQED did reach out to the EDD office for comment, but they declined for this story. The gap in voter turnout between white and black Californians continues to grow, according to new research published Monday by the Center for Inclusive Democracy at USC. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarati has more. 2020 was a historic year for voter turnout in California, but Mindy Romero, one of the report's authors, says... The turnout gaps between black and white non-Latino voters have been widening in California. James Woodson, executive director of the California Black Power Network, points to a couple of explanations. One is a growing turnout gap among black voters of different generations. The likely black voter is, is actually aging and not being replaced by younger black voters. And Woodson says that as more and more black Californians are displaced from urban centers, they're moving to areas that don't necessarily have established organizing infrastructure, don't have you know, groups that are reach, reaching out to engage them around elections. The USC survey also found black voters were twice as likely to take a bus or train to the polls versus other racial or ethnic groups in 2020. That can make voting in person difficult in suburban or exurban areas like parts of the Inland Empire, says Minister Quan Williams, an organizer there. You know, even catching public transportation to a polling place can be challenging. You might have to walk in the street to get there. This year, roughly a dozen California counties will offer fewer places to vote in person, though with longer hours. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The California Healthcare Foundation working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just health care system on the web at chcf.org slash health-equity. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. The city of L.A. has to go back to the drawing board on its plan for new housing. KPCC's David Wagner explains why state regulators rejected L.A.'s proposal. California law requires local governments to plan for new housing every eight years. This cycle, governments across Southern California have a big goal, a total of 1.3 million new homes. L.A. recently sent its rezoning plan to Sacramento for approval, but last week, the state rejected it. 
Regulators commended the city's willingness to accommodate almost half a million new homes, but they said L.A.'s plan lacked specific commitments to confront patterns of racial segregation and promote fair housing. The rejection moves up the city's rezoning deadline to mid-October. If L.A. doesn't meet that deadline, it could lose billions of dollars in state funding for affordable housing development. For The California Report, I'm David Wagner in Los Angeles. And that's The California Report for Tuesday, March 1st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Aditi Bandlamudi. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, this item courtesy of Ubinet.com, the State Department of Water Resources today conducted the third snow survey of the season at Phillips Station in the Sierra Nevada. After a January and February that will enter records as the driest documented in state history, the survey recorded 35 inches of snow depth and a snow water equivalent of 16 inches, 68% of average for the location for March. Statewide, the snowpack is 63% of average for this date. The snow water equivalent measures the amount of water contained in the snowpack and is a key component of the department's water supply forecast. Carla Nemeth, director of the Department of Water Resources, said, With only one month left in California's wet season and no major storms in the forecast, Californians should plan on a third year of drought conditions. A significantly below average snowpack combined with already low reservoir levels make it critical that all Californians step up and conserve water every day to help the state meet the challenges of severe drought. Regionally, the snowpack in the northern, central, and southern Sierra are all standing just above 59% to 66% of average for the state. Classes were in session today at Nevada Union High School after school closures occurred last week due to teacher absences in the wake of relaxed masking rules. KVMR Evening News reached out to members of the school board to determine what comes next in the conflict between the board and the teachers' union, but could not reach them for comment. Authorities continue to investigate the circumstances that led to a 39-year-old man opening fire inside a Sacramento church Monday night, killing his three daughters, ages 9, 10, and 13, and an adult male who was apparently chaperoning a family visit. The gunman then fatally shot himself. Authorities did not identify the shooter or the victims by name, according to the Sacramento Bee. The shootings took place just after 5 p.m. at the church in Sacramento, in the Arden Arcade area. Sacramento County Sheriff Scott Jones told reporters at the scene that the mother of the children had a temporary restraining order against the estranged father. Caltrans is beginning vegetation removal Wednesday on State Route 20 in Nevada County in anticipation of starting major construction work on the Omega Curves Safety Improvement Project. The $62.5 million Omega Curves Project aims to improve safety and reduce collisions on Highway 20 by realigning curves on two different segments near White Cloud and Lowell Hill. It will also widen shoulders, improve the highway's sight distance, and add designated left turn lanes near Conservation Road and Washington Road. Three turnouts will be added where slow-moving vehicles can permit motorists to safely pass. Vegetation removal for the project is anticipated Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. While much of the work will occur on the shoulder, occasional one-way traffic control will be required through March. Motorists should expect delays at times of up to 20 to 30 minutes. Major construction on the safety project is to begin in mid-April. 
it's expected to be completed in fall 2023. Turning to regional weather, a change is on the way later in the week with a drop in temperatures and a chance of rain Thursday and rain and possible snow showers late Friday. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, partly cloudy with a low of 51. Wednesday, increasingly cloudy with a high near 70 and a low around 50. In Truckee tonight, partly cloudy with a low of 29 degrees. Wednesday in Truckee, mostly cloudy with a high of 54 and a low of 28. A chance of snow moving in Friday and Saturday. In Sacramento this evening, partly to mostly cloudy with a low of 45. Wednesday in Sacramento, considerable clouds in the morning, decreasing later in the day, with a high around 75 and a low of 45. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Next, KVMR's Paul Emery talks to economist Gary Zimmerman and finds out that one thing is for certain. The uncertainties caused by the war in Ukraine are further complicating our already complicated and crisis-ridden economy. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Uh, Gary, uh, welcome back to KVMR. There's a lot going on in the world, obviously, and some of it will impact the global financial system and economy. Let's talk about what might happen. Oh, boy, Paul. (laughs) That's a challenge. Um, Obviously, there is a huge amount of uncertainty and speculation going on in the world right now. Uh, Obviously, one important concern I have is that the elevated level of uncertainty will have a detrimental impact on the financial system and the economy, not only in Europe and Russia, but likely in the U.S. as well. You know, the combination of the war, Russia invading Ukraine, you know, creating a huge crisis in Europe and around the world. Um, Likewise, you have now the imposition of economic and financial sanctions on Russia, which creates uncertainties for many industries and global economies, you know, and that's going to extend well beyond just Russia. Um, Inflation in several of the major economies could be worsened by the Ukraine war and the sanctions. Um, That creates more uncertainty about the upcoming decisions by central banks like the Federal Reserve uh, as they make monetary policy uh, to try and slow inflation. And that, you know, that will also have an impact slowing the economy. And, you know, again, all of these things put together raises concerns about recession. At the same time, you know, the economic sanctions and the war will add to our inflation worries. So, yeah, just way too much going on. First, let me ask if you have a sense of how the Russian invasion of Ukraine and that's a truly serious European war, could impact our economy? Well, Paul, this is a, this is a hard question for a mere economist. Um, yeah, the war in Ukraine is certainly scary and, and uncertain. How long will it last? How will it end? How much damage will be done to the Ukrainian economy and 
agricultural sector? You know, what about you know damage to neighboring countries, to the Russian economy, um, to the global economy, to the U.S. economy? You know, how how long will the ill effects last? You know, and my quick guess is that the Ukraine war may well cause consumer confidence to fall and some worried consumers to slow their consumption spending. That tends to slow the economy down. Many banks and financial institutions will probably cut back on their lending as the risks rise. Uh, business confidence will take a hit because businesses both in Europe and the U.S. will reduce their investment spending until the situation stabilizes or is resolved. And so all of these effects and risks and uncertainties could slow the U.S. and European economies. Um, and, you know, raising concerns about, you know, the, the continued recovery from the COVID recession at the time. And, you know, we also have to worry about inflation. Gary, I've also read that we should expect higher food prices as well, because Russia and the Ukraine are large producers of wheat. Yes, Paul, you've been doing your homework. <laughs> Much as with energy, uh, the war on Ukraine reduces you know, Ukrainian farm production and supply, uh, while the sanctions limit the supply of Russian wheat exports, um, that will reduce the global supply of wheat and corn. Um, that would ex be expected to result in higher global food prices as well. So again, higher prices for food and for energy uh, in the U.S. and around the globe will reduce spending on other goods and services. And that, you know, would have a negative impact on economic growth in most countries. Now, Gary, as I recall, uh, at the March meeting, isn't the Federal Reserve expected to begin raising interest rates to fight inflation? Yes, the, the Fed's Monetary Policy Making Committee will be meeting in mid-March and deciding on how much to raise the short-term interest rate target um, with all the risks and uncertainties created by the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the uncertainties and risks arising from the economic and financial sanctions being imposed on Russia. I think you know expectations have probably changed there. Now the Fed needs to consider that as you know, monetary policy slows the economy and you've got all these additional risks and uncertainty caused by the Russian invasion and the European and U.S. sanctions on Russia, you know, all of this is likely to, you know, put the growth rate of the economy and, and some additional questions. So while the, the Fed must fight inflation, the uh, U.S. economy will be faced with headwinds of higher interest rates as well as uh, headwinds from the war and the sanctions, and that may slow the economy too fast, maybe even push it into a recession. So it complicates the monetary policy decision uh, a lot. Uh, so my guess is that the Fed is likely to increase interest rates more slowly starting in March than they would have been doing before the U Ukrainian crisis hit. Okay, Gary, lots of stuff. Uh, thank you so much. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. Coming up next, Mark Cuniberti reviews the stock market's recent pattern of brutal erosion and contemplates the possibility of a phenomenon known as capitulation. Mm -hmm. 
Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. The continuing erosion of the stock markets is a painful event for investors. Like the latest seven-week period starting around the first of the year, the market seemingly fell almost non-stop until last Thursday, February 24th. Only interrupted by brief one-day rallies, the Dow fell almost 10%, and that was the good news. The Nasdaq continued what it had started in mid-November and crashed 18%. The other indexes fell in concert and by similar amounts. Although no one can forecast market direction with 100% certainty. Prolonged, slow-motion types of crashes usually don't peter out and grind to a halt. Simply put, when a market starts a descending type of pattern and continually erodes week after week, it can take what is known as a capitulation event to signal an all-clear might be in the cards. Capitulation is defined by Wikipedia as to surrender or give up. In financial circles, this term is used to indicate the point in which investors have decided to give up on trying to recapture loss gains as a result of a falling stock market. Specifically, as markets begin to fall, many investors will step in and buy more stocks, thinking they will average down their costs, buying more shares at a lower price. For example, if an investor buys 100 shares of ABC Company at a price of 10 bucks, his cost for the 100 shares is $1,000. Then, for whatever reason, the stock price, say, drops to 5 bucks. The investor then buys 100 more shares at 5 Now he has an average of 200 shares at an average cost of 7 50 as he bought 100 shares at $10 and 100 shares at 5 He has averaged down. This averaging down is a common occurrence among many investors. I am against such practices because I believe a falling stock might have a reason for it falling and no one should just buy a stock because it becomes cheaper. In a prolonged market crash, the slow motion erosion continues to pressure stock prices, yet some investors will start this averaging down process and buy more shares. This may prolong what may have been a brief market set back to a prolonged stair-step down type of market, where the market's general direction is down, yet the downward bias is interrupted by bouts of stock buying, which causes brief rally. If the market continues down for whatever reason, those that averaged in and bought stocks at lower prices see their losses now accelerate as they own even more shares. In cases like these, where a prolonged market erosion seemingly never ends, what is common is to see finally occur is a capitulation event. The event takes the form of an all-out panic type of crash. They are usually brief but horrific one- or two-day sell-offs, which take the indexes down hard. Usually a multiple or many multiples of the previous one-day sell-offs witnessed as the crash had progressed. In the most recent event, after seven weeks of brutal stock erosion, which started around January 1st of the year, the evening of Wednesday 23rd showed stock futures, which are a pre-indicator that estimates the following day stock movements, down a whopping 800-plus Dow points, After seven weeks of erosion, the 800-point hard-down indication was frightening to those that saw it. Indeed, when the market opened up Thursday, the 24th, the very next day, it did start hard down in what seemed like capitulation. Buyers had all but evaporated, and it appeared an all-out panic had gripped market participants. Within hours, however, finally realizing prices had fallen too far and far too long, buyers stepped in and stocks came off their lows. What seemed like the start of a bleak day may have actually signaled the capitulation event that the market needed to see before it could finally halt its prolonged descent. Although time will tell if we are indeed out of the woods as far as a continued market crash occurring, last week's event certainly fit the description of a classic capitulation occurrence.
That's it for today's Money Matters. This newscast is not a recommendation to buy or sell any securities. It is not recommended as personal investment advice and expresses the opinion of myself and may not necessarily reflect the opinions of this news media staff members or underwriters. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold California insurance license all well 34249 and I'm a Medicare agent approved in the state of California. My name is Mark Greenberg. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's Educationally Speaking. Hosts Scott W. Lay and Kimberly Ewing focus on Nevada County Reads, a long-standing literary event based on the concept of one book, one community. Guests include Sydney Joyce of the Nevada County Community Library, Nevada Union High School librarian Josie Andrews, and Austin Rays, the Bear River student who created the winning Nevada County Reads logo. At 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. This is Joyce Miller wishing you a safe Tuesday evening. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.